You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hey, I'm really looking forward to today. It's going to be an interesting and unique uh, Sunday morning. And uh, if you guys could go ahead and turn on the lights overhead if they're not already on their way. Today we finish our series on 1 Peter uh, with a message called All for One and One for All. Yes. When I, when I think of this title, I think of that, 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 that trio with, um, the most unlikely song trio ever was, uh, Brian Adams and, and, uh, um, help me out here. Um, yes, uh, Rod Stewart and, um, Sting. The three people that should never sing a song together. Uh, all individually, they're awesome, but, Oh, 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 for what? You guys remember that song? Anyhow, some of you guys are old enough to remember that song. There's a movie called Three Musketeers that it was a remake. And the, those three guys, three great male vocalists, uh, did a trio should not have been done. Well, today we're going to do something that should be done. And we're going to talk about First Peter chapter 5. Peter's been telling us uh, what it's like to follow God with all that you have. He, he's talking to a group of people that were on the run for their life during a time when Christians were heavily persecuted and they were being chased out of their homes. And Peter was writing to a church saying, hey, don't give up, don't give in when you don't know what's going on. Here's what's next if you trust God, if you follow God. He basically says that when we trust God, the what's next in our life begins when we understand that in Jesus, we've been given a new life, we've been given a new way of living life, and we've been given a new way of looking at life. And when we understand that, then things begin to, to make sense in the directions of our life. He talks about how growing in God affects our attitude, it affects our actions, how it affects our politics, how it affects our marriage, how it affects how we look at leaders and bosses and jobs and friends. And today, he's going to talk about not only how it uh, relates to our struggles, but how it affects the way we look at church. So as he wraps up this letter, he gives a challenge directly to the church. We're going to look at three parts today. He first gives a challenge from the shepherds uh, or to the shepherds, and then he gives a challenge to the sheep, and then he gives a, a challenge to everybody altogether. So let's take a look at that first part. This is a family talk today. Uh, this is a talk from a pastor, Peter, to another pastor and to the people in the church. So if this is your first time here today, or if you've never been here today, um, or maybe you're uh, not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to, to settle in. I want you to listen. I want you to hear the heart of a pastor to his church, uh, to a church that he loves and to the churches that he loves. This is Peter, and he starts off with this, shepherds concerning the sheep. So this is what he says in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, to the elders among you. Now, to the elders, that means not just the elders, like by title, like we have elders in our church, but he's talking to the pastors. He's talking to the teachers. He's talking to all the spiritual leaders in a church, the shepherds and the overseers. So when he says, okay, elders, I want to talk to you for a minute. He's talking to the spiritual leaders of the church. So he says, to the elders among you, he says, appeal he says, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, as a shepherd, as a bishop, as an overseer, and a witness of Christ's suffering, 
who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He says, man, I walked with Jesus. I, I saw what happened on the cross. I experienced his resurrection. And, and, and I have experienced the hardships that come along with being a follower of Christ. He says, and I'm not just talking as a pastor, but I'm talking to you as someone who's walked with Jesus. So he says this, he's about to tell leaders how to lead and what you should look for in a church leadership team. So I want you to think about if you are a leader, I want you to receive this. If you're not a leader, then I want you to to look for this in your leaders in a church. He says this, verse two, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Now, first of all, a shepherd is not an entertainer. A lot of people think that a a pastor should get up here and, and do a Song and dance, that's, yeah, 10 years of tap lesson. That's right. How many of you think I took tap lessons? Didn't take a one. All right, it's all intuitive. <laughs> you just put tap on your shoes and wiggle your feet. That's all it takes, right? Sorry, all you tap people. Um. I'm not an entertainer. A lot of people think the pastor should come in, put on a good show, uh, get a few laughs. And, you know, I think a good teacher should be someone that keeps your attention and can be entertaining at times. But I'm not an entertainer. I'm not here to put on a show or to, to get you to like me. Uh, also, a pastor is not a CEO. He's not uh, a manager. He's not a, a boss in the sense of a company. He doesn't, you know, draw the line. It's not about business decisions. He's not a spiritual butler. A lot of people think, man, the pastor's got to answer and, uh, to every snap of your spiritual question and whim and all your problems and issues and it, you should do everything because he's the spiritual butler and he's also not a people pleaser. A lot of pastors, they feel like it's their job to make sure people are happy and to make sure that nobody goes and nobody gets offended. And he says this, he says, a shepherd... He says, is one that is, that is actually someone who's a caregiver. A shepherd is this. A shepherd feeds the sheep. That means he teaches them. A shepherd leads the sheep. A good shepherd protects the sheep culturally and spiritually. And, and in their context, we think of a shepherd, we might think of it this like little boy with a staff. Come on, you guys. Oh, the shepherd, the pastor, God bless him. You know, a lot of people have this view of pastors. You watch TV shows, every time a minister comes on, I cringe. He's usually a dorky guy, a bald guy. No offense, bald people. Um, but he's like the old, the old guy who's just like the good-hearted, gentle, kind, daring, or the dweeb, the nerd, the guy who's small, tiny, good-hearted, but really out of touch. You know, let's be honest, right? Most pastors are portrayed as passive and, and, and just, ah, uh, it irritates me. Culturally, in the context of the Bible, a, a shepherd, when he said a shepherd, man, they thought of someone who was brave. They thought of someone who had courage. They, saw, they thought of someone who uh, was able to fight off the dangerous wild animals to protect the sheep. They thought about someone who had long, late nights with their sheep. They thought of someone who cared for and mended the wounds of the sheep. And they also thought of someone who is dirty, who is rugged and rough. See, when Paul says, be a shepherd, they thought, man, this guy, 
courageous, brave, and it's a dirty job. And I'll tell you, that's exactly what being a pastor is. He says, a shepherd, be a shepherd. And there's the, I want you to write this down. If you are a leader or if you're looking at what to think about leaders, we must lead by a calling from God. We must lead by a calling from God. And this is a big question. If you are a leader, do you feel called to do this or not? This is a God thing. This is a unique calling. It is not in any way saying that leaders, pastors like myself, we are not better than you, but I have been given a specific role in your life. It is a calling from God. And he says, I want you to realize, shepherds, I want you to realize, pastors, that you have been given a unique calling from God to care for the people of God. He says, in verse 2, he says, not because you must. He says, don't do this because you're forced to or coerced coerced, or feeling like you have to. He says, God doesn't want you to, to feel like you're compelled or forced to do this. But because you're willing as God wants you to be. He says, man, this has got to be a God thing on your life. It's not because somebody asked you and you liked the power position that it offered. It's not because you've always wanted to be a pastor or a leader. This has got to be a God thing. Is this something that God is speaking in your heart about? He says, uh, ministry, I got to tell you, is, is the front row to a lot of wonderful things in church. It's also uh, the front row to a lot of horrible things in the church. Some of the wonderful things, of course, are marrying people. That's a pleasure, a joy, seeing life change and people meeting Christ and the maturing in God, uh, seeing kids be born and dedicating kids to the Lord, seeing people recover from sickness, beautiful front row seat. But at the same time, we also have the horrible side of funerals and dealing with certain kinds of people dealing with broken families, abuse, church politics, immature, destructive Christians, ungodly leaders, church financial burdens, and being aware, this is the hardest, being aware of when a person turns away from Jesus. It is painful. It is painful, painful. The call of God is all I have to keep me on track. A lot of pastors, because they don't have a call of God, they are burnt out, they burn up, and they blow up. I see it all the time. Pastors and leaders that should never be in ministry because they don't have a call of God. Instead, they have a desire to be in position or they like the authority it brings or whatever. They like the feeling that having somebody look at them, it's got to be a call from God. He goes on, verse 2, he says, not pursuing dishonest game, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter raises the issue of money. Why? Because it is the elders or the overseers of the church that take care and oversee the financial affairs of the church. And he says, man, you want to make sure that there is somebody in there who has an honest and pure heart. Guys, listen, I cannot tell you how many times I've actually sat down with Bible college students who are looking for a position in a church. They're looking to get involved in a church. We, we've had the issue here. They want to get involved. They want to get plugged in. They want to serve. They love the church. They love everything about it. But when they say, do I get paid for doing this? I'm like, no. Well, like, I'm not, I don't want to do it then. 
because they're right out of college and they're desirous. Ministry is not like becoming an architect or a draft designer or some sort of a, you know, vocational job. It is not like becoming a lawyer. It's not like becoming a doctor or a nurse. When you become a minister, you have adopted a calling of God, not a position of power and authority that is guaranteed a paycheck. So these guys get out of college and they, they, man, they're hard workers. They got, they got a great motivation to get out there and do stuff. Uh, they, 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 um, they're sincere, but the motive is wrong. I want you to know that my salary, which I receive, I'm the only full-time paid person on our church staff. And my salary has been set by our elders and it is, uh, determined by what we can afford as a church to do. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've been making the exact same thing for the last six years. So as you get a yearly increase, we trust the Lord on this. He says this, that verse, he says, lead with integrity. That means not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. He's saying serve honestly, not seeking position, power, possession, but a call to serve and empower others. The other New Testament verses that describe the qualifications of a leader deal with this issue of integrity in Titus and in Timothy. And then he says, lead with humility. He says, not lording it over them, but, a, but uh, uh, being a servant. He says, he says, we are not to be royalty in their eyes. You know, I go to churches. God love the pastors that have their, their, their parking spaces like two feet from the secret entrance. You ever seen that? They got the pastor's parking spot, the pastor's wife parking spot, the pastor's first kid who can drive parking spot, the associate pastor's parking spot, the associate pastor's wife parking spot. It's like 20 parking spots all in front of the secret entrance into the church that only staff with the code can get in. They're like royalty. And I and, and Paul says, man, don't, don't act like you're royalty with them. Don't, don't think that you're better than they are. Don't lord over them that blessing, that calling of God that you've been given. He says, we are caregivers, not caretakers. He says, I don't need my own parking spot or secret interest. Pastors, there are a lot of pastors who love the power and control and the esteem they get. He says, man, that's not what a good shepherd does. And then he says, lead through example. He says, by being examples to the flock, live it He's saying, live what you preach, model it in public, model it in private. He says, later on, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Guys, listen, I can't tell you how many pastors have a secret life. Like I said, I'm the, I'm, I get a front row seat to the great good things of church and a front row seat to the bad things in church. And sometimes there are horrible leaders that live secret lives, that live double lives, that, that live lives that are not honoring to God and they're not holy before the Lord. They're, or they're just selfish, mean, or, or they have spinning problems or moral problems, or they're just, they're just not nice people and, and they hide and shelter. Paul says, no, he says, man, be an example. How can we be an example if you never get to see my life? Right? We will strive as a church to always be the kind of church that is transparent to our people, that our leadership team will always be people that are accessible, that I will not hide away. I'm not going to have a secret entrance someplace, do my show, and then have a secret entrance out so I can get in my car and drive out of my secret garage. I will lead by example, and I will be an example in private and in public as much as I can. As Paul says, we must be an example to the flock. 
You want others to follow you? He says, don't just talk about it. He says, live it. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, the senior pastor, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. He says, man, there's a reward that's coming your way that is eternal. He says, and the senior pastor's gonna come one day. I wanna tell you something. I will answer to Jesus, my pastor, for the way that I conduct myself with this church. I will have to answer to Jesus for the way that I treat you and treat this church and treat the affairs of this church and treat the finances of this church. And I do not take it lightly because one day I will face Jesus and I will give an account to him and I will press forward as a pastor for my pastor, Jesus. Shepherds should have a call from God, integrity, humility, be godly examples. And I want to ask for you as your pastor, if this is your church, will you pray for me to be that kind of person? Will you pray for me to be that kind of leader, to be that kind of uh, person in my private and public life? Will you pray for the pastor and the staff, the pastoral staff of this team, for Sean and Joanna, for Chris and our elders and our leaders and those that lead our ministries? Will you pray for us that we can be these things for you? The next part is a different passage because he turns from shepherds concerning the sheep to sheep concerning the shepherd. And it's a tough part for me because what I'm about to preach is almost going to sound self-serving, but I want you to know it's not about me. It's about God's role and design for the church because I'm about to talk to you about how to treat your pastor. He says this in verse five, he says, in the same way, you who are younger, the word younger is, is, is widely accepted as meaning everybody else in the church. As an elder is considered older, he says younger, meaning everybody else, all those that are leaders in the church and all those who are followers in the church. He's talking to not just the headstrong men of the church, but he's also saying all of the people in the church. He says, you, the rest of you, submit yourself to your leaders. Submit yourself to to your leaders. Now, some of you uh, have a hard time understanding what that means. Now, you got to realize these five chapters, this, this letter that Peter wrote, he talks about submission to the whole thing. It's all about humility and submission, humbling yourself and following the leader. He says, for example, kids, you need to submit to your parents. He says, in the marriage, the roles of wife, learning to follow and submit to the husband. In the, in the workplace, to submit to your boss. He says, in the world of governing affairs and politics, we need to submit to our government. He says over and over again, we need to learn to submit to those that God has put in our life. And now he says it again. He says, submit yourself to your spiritual leaders. Here's the first thing I want you to realize is that this, you need to believe that you need a pastor. You need to believe that you need a pastor. Pastors are God's idea for you. It's God's plan for you to have a pastor. There are a lot of people that just go to church, never commit to a church, never connect to a church. They might, quotation fingers, join a church, but they never submit to anybody as their pastor because there's this fear, this anxiety, whatever we're going to talk about in a minute, but there's this fear that somehow this guy is corrupt and evil and lead us astray. I see it all the time. I can't trust that guy, so I can't trust this guy. 
So what we have is a whole church community of people around the globe that do not believe that they need a pastor and they don't follow and submit to their pastor. And the first part that you need to realize is that you need a pastor. Pastoring is not a man-made position. There are a lot of church movements today, like the home church movement, that basically denounce the role of the pastor and the shepherd. And I'm like, have you even read the New Testament? It's full of declarations and challenges and order in how the pastor is a gift from God to lead and to care and to protect and to feed and to watch after you. And I will give an account to God for that. He says, this is a God thing. You need to realize you need one. Some people think, well, pastors, they made that position because we like to talk to people. We like to stand up in front. We like how it feels to, uh, to, to preach and to, to be esteemed. And, and uh, they, they just went uh, six days off a week. Some of you, yeah, thanks for the laugh. Some of you are like, yeah, that would be great. Some of you think that that's all I do is I preach on Sunday for, for a few hours and I blow off the rest of the day. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's, it's, it's golf, it's movies, it's hanging out, it's, it's free time for Ted. It's got to be great being a pastor, doesn't have a real job. A lot of people are convinced that pastors have, you know, all this extra free time. On average, the typical pastor, myself included, I easily work sometimes 60 to 65 hours a week. Because here's the difference. When you go home, you go home. For me, this is a calling from God, so it never stops. I don't check out of the day and stop being a shepherd. This is a calling from God. And sometimes that call comes at times when it's not comfortable or easy or convenient. He says, man, you need to realize you need a pastor. And I want to ask you something. Do you deeply understand your need for a pastor? Here's the second thing that this verse tells us. It says, follow your pastor. He says, follow your pastor. The word there is submit. And what submit means is humbly listen and follow and receive their leadership. And this is the hard part about finding a church. Because people will go their whole life and never submit to a pastor. And they might attend a church. But as long as they don't commit or connect or submit to the pastor as an authority in their life, they're free to do and choose whatever they want. And because they don't know or trust or had a bad experience in the past with a pastor, they they can't submit or follow a pastor. Some of you are in that position right now. You, You attend, but you have never taken that step to follow because you're not sure if you can trust me or not. I tell you, when you find a a pastor that you can trust, that is something you need to connect to. And that's, that's the step of faith of being a follower of Jesus Christ because you need a pastor. It is a God-given gift to you and you must receive that gift and know that there are bad pastors that you want to stay away from and there are good pastors and you need to connect with those pastors and submit to them. I've got some additional verses here. We're actually going to go over some of that in the live team this week, so don't miss out. Live teams are listed on the website. It's a current, up-to-date live team uh, um, list, so check it out online. So how are you to receive a leader? Here's some thoughts I put down. Um, 
By the way, I want you to say, I want to tell you, never obey a pastor who's leading you on a false course. Never follow a pastor who's teaching false doctrine. Never follow a pastor that is manipulating you or controlling you or abusing your heart or your emotions or your time. Never obey a pastor who's leading you down a negative path. Jesus is the chief pastor, the chief shepherd. He overrides every pastor. All right. So with that in mind, this is what it means to submit or to follow or to receive a pastor. This is what it means to allow me to be your pastor if this is your church. First of all, I want you to understand that it means receiving teaching. It means that when you come in here, you're ready. Not ready to take a nap. Not ready to settle in. Man, these theater seats are tough. I know you're tired. I know it's Saturday night's a big night for some of you. Something's going to pop here in a minute. I hear crackling. Some of you, I know it's hard to get up in the morning and to get here, but, but this, is, this is our time of, of discipleship where I get to pour into your life. And I want you to come ready. I want you to man, come down that hall. Yeah, are you ready? Yeah. Maybe not that extreme. But, you know, we hand out worship guides. And if you have one, look on the back. Everybody, look on the back of yours. If you have one, guess what that is? That's my notes. That's for you so that you can grow and be discipled and learn. I want you to understand that I've been given a role to teach you. Will you receive that teaching? Will you come, come ready to hear, ready to grow? Here's another thing is receive guidance. Our encouragement and our counsel is something that you need to learn to receive. We are called to equip you and to look after you spiritually. I'm not a car expert. I'm not a financial expert. I'm not a law expert. And being subject to pastors does not mean that we always know what to do in every area of your life. But I am to guide and protect your spiritual journey. And will you allow me to guide you in your life? That means when I come to you and and challenge you in an area, will you receive that? Another thing that means is that will you receive reprove? Or you might say reproof or you might say rebuke because the idea here is that will you allow me to hold you spiritually accountable? When you submit yourself to a pastor, you're saying to that pastor, you have access to speak into my life and to correct me and to challenge me when you see me going astray. You see, as a shepherd, I am to protect. And as sheep, sometimes we wander off as sheep and the shepherd is to bring you back in and leading you back. And sometimes that means correction. Sometimes that means reeling you back in with guidance and counsel. And sometimes you make dumb choices, sheep. You know what I think is ironic about sheep is that God and Jesus calls us sheep. Now, why would God call us sheep? And I thought this was funny because sheep are considered, considered one of the dumbest animals on the planet. It's true. And God says, ha, perfect, my sheep. You see, if, if there is a group of sheep and one walks off a cliff, guess what the others will do? Hey, oh, they'll jump off the cliff. If they walk into thorn bushes, hey, come on, guys. Ah, hey, it looks like fun. Ah, what's because we're dumb. We're sheep. And God says, we're sheep. And you need a shepherd. And sometimes I don't make always the right decisions, the right choices, but I'm praying and I'm seeking God on this. And, and will you allow me to 
reprove you, rebuke you, correct you. Here's a couple of examples coming in late. Be here on time. Our worship band, they are ready to connect with God. If you showed up this late to work every day, you'd be fired. So thank God you can't get fired from church. That's why you show up late. Because what are they going to do, fire me? I'll just go someplace else. I can go in late. Come on time to connect with God. They come ready to connect and take you into the presence of God. Guys, listen, we only have about an hour and 20 minutes, maybe an hour and a half a week. That's it. When you think about it, it's like six hours a month. That's it. Barely an hour and a half a week. Show up on time. Hanging out in the foyer. If you don't have responsibility, come on in. Come on, they're being alert. The world gets you for seven days. Will you give me an hour and 20 minutes? Here's another thing. Receive church discipleship that is provided for you. As a pastor, I'm attempting to shepherd and care for you. And the ministries we provide for you are for your benefit. I can't tell you how many times people come to me and they struggle with their walk with God, their spiritual journey, and they take no advantage of the ministry discipleship programs that we offer. Your growth, your maturity, if you receive them, you will grow. You will mature. For example, being here every week is part of discipleship. Life teams are part of discipleship. It's an extremely important part of your growth. Do you receive that? As a pastor, I'm here to disciple you. Will you receive that discipleship? Here's a, the last thing is, will you embrace your ministry? Ephesians 5 says that my goal as a pastor, as a gift to you, is to equip you, to empower you for ministry. And embracing your role in serving and reaching this community and this world is a part of you submitting to your pastor as part of submitting to the leadership's charge to, to make a difference in the world. And some of you, you are still expecting others to pick up the tab. You're still expecting others to serve and wait on you. But if this is your church and this is your community of faith, then I want to challenge you to embrace your ministry, whether it be in the pit crew, in the worship band, in the greeting, in the life team ministry, in Kid Venture, or in the outreach team. Embrace your ministry. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, so that... Uh, for that would be no benefit to you. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm always the angry, sad, depressed, bitter, uh, frustrated pastor, is that any benefit to you? No. <laughs> so he says, don't let your pastor be that kind of pastor. He says, and then he says, pray for us. He's talking to people, pray for your leaders. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. Peter is challenging us that a church will survive, will never survive unless they embrace 
the humility that God is calling us to. Peter's telling the church will never survive without the humble and shepherds and the humble sheep. A a church will only thrive when it accepts God's roles in humble leadership and humble followership. So with that in mind, I want to take some time to talk to you about our state of the church for a few minutes. If you have your phone, I want you to get my phone number ready, 469-877-1101. That's 469-877-1101. You can text me your questions pertaining to our church for the next few minutes. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. But before we do, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to take like a, like a, we're running late, but it is state of the church today and we've got late movies, so. I'm ready to roll. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take like four minutes, and you might notice there are pictures on the wall. And I have a $10 movie card right here to your local AMC theater, actually to any AMC theater. But I've got a movie card for the first person after I ask. Don't come running up to me. Um, I'm going to ask, but I'm going to give you some time to look at these pictures And I want you to tell me, I want you to count how many churches you see in this room, okay? So if you don't want to get up, then hang loose for a few minutes. Uh, But I want to encourage you to get up, take some time, check out what you see on the walls, and uh, tell me how many churches you see. All right, play some music for us, will you, Luke? stand right now everything is crashing down and I wonder where you are I try to find the words to pray I don't always know what to say but you're the one that can hear my heart While you're taking a look at these churches, don't just count them. Take a look at the variety of buildings represented, the the different types of places. There are churches uh, represented here. There are buildings in Africa and mud huts and caves, giant crystal cathedrals, local churches, country churches. Uh, There are all kinds of churches represented here. So I want you to count what you think you see. But I want you to kind of... Really soak in what you see.
We got like one minute left. If you want to go ahead and take a few more looks. I thoroughly enjoyed putting these pictures together. They are just a beautiful example of the body of Christ around the world. All of these churches, by the way, are are Christian groups. There are, are no Mormon churches represented in these pictures. No Hindu churches or uh, other groups. There are there are Catholic, Protestant, and Orthodox churches on the, on the pictures. Text. <laughs> Is that Okay, go ahead and make your way back to your seat. And uh, the answer is coming in a minute. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to do the old uh, American Idol. The answer is after this commercial break. Um, Actually, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a minute to talk to you uh, about uh, the church, uh, the state of the church. Every January, we talk about the state of our church, the condition of the church, kind of where we are, uh, how the last year has been. So if uh, you're not a member here, this is a unique experience that we have once uh, a year, uh, sometimes twice when we do a mid-year state. So um, this past month, by the way, uh, we've been talking about our walk with God, how it shapes our outlook on family, on marriage, on work, and in church. Uh, and it basically has been driving us to our our big theme for our church, our mission, our dangerous mission, our 3D dangerous mission is discover, develop, and deploy. Everything we do in our church is all about helping you discover the life of Christ and the healing power of his grace to develop maturity in you and your walk with Christ and to deploy you or send you out as missionaries into the world and in your workplace and neighborhood in Christ. So discover, develop, deploy everything we do is about that. So I want you to, first of all, ask yourself, where are you in the Discover, Develop, Deploy? Are you still discovering Jesus? Are you developing your walk with Jesus? Or are you ready? Are you mature and are you still growing and ready to deploy yourself and to tell the world about Jesus? Some of you, you're here today still checking us out. You're in the discovery zone. Some of you are still stumbling and struggling, but you're growing. You're in the develop zone. And some of you are still in the develop, but still ready to deploy. That's where we want you to be, is constantly moving through that process. Looking back over the year, this past year has been a great year. In 2012, our average attendance was 150. In 2013, our average attendance was 200 and sometimes 250, but uh, it averaged around 200. It continues to grow. Uh, our leadership development, our leaders are strong. We have, uh, we have a great tenure with our leaders. We are knit as friends. We are growing together. Our community outreach and missions this past year was exciting. Uh, from our back, 
pack drives, to our food drives, to our blanket drives, to our block parties, to our outreach, to the foster home birthday parties, to the great outreaches that the Reeds led us through in in, uh, 2013. And uh, now the baton is passed on to Bobby and Jessica. Um, What a great impact. And our desire is to have a greater lasting impact impact in our community. That means not a hit and run approach to outreach, but something that is lasting and makes a difference. Uh, We are a church that supports ministries and missions. Uh, We support Young Life, which is a mission to young people. We support uh, bilingual prison ministry, a powerful ministry to inmates and families of inmates. We support Blood In, Blood Out, which is a discipleship group for at-risk men who um, who don't quite fit into your typical church setting but need the discipleship of Jesus. We uh, support Compassion Children. We uh, support ARC, Association of Related Churches, where we have been a part of planting over 200 churches last year and a part of giving over $800 million to missions around the world. We uh, have been financially uh, blessed to provide um, in uh, special moments of need for hope, uh, positive Africa and for world indigenous missions. And uh, this year we want to continue to do that to up our ante of support and uh, go on a mission trip to Haiti. Uh, Kid Venture is a great program. I think in the last year it has grown in its excellence and in its uh, volunteers and in its security. I think the security has gotten great. And uh, one of the things that we want to see improve this year is a commitment from our uh, ministry volunteers to be committed to the team of Kid Venture, to see resources uh, plugged into the ministry, and also I have it in my heart to see a discipleship program for families implemented into uh, Kid Venture this year. The worship band, man, have they not grown over the last couple of years, but I think last year they have hit a, this past year hit a stride of excellence, and I'm blessed and honored. I know they're going to pursue that even more. Uh, the youth ministry, they're growing the junior high and high school to the point that this last year, the junior high and high school started meeting in two separate homes and continue to grow. And as they are venturing out this year in uh, new ministries like the winter camp and outreaches, I'm excited about the future of our youth ministry and our finances have been a challenge. So let's talk a minute about our finances. Again, this is church talk, church family stuff, right? Are we a family? Some of us are. If you're not, then we invite you to be a part. A healthy family talks about finances. By the way, if you're a family and you're not talking about money, you're not talking. It's one of the most sensitive things to talk about. A family should be talking about it, but should not be obsessing about it. So let's talk about it. If we're going to move into our potential, we're going to need to grow in this area and be on the same page. So here's kind of where we are as a church in our finances. In 2013, our operating budget was about $135,000. That's a very low budget considering that the average church has uh, about several million dollars in the Metroplex. We have a very small budget. Our weekly goal that we post in our worship guide is we would like and we pray and believe for $3,000 a week to come in. That's $12,000 a month. What we need to maintain our current level of ministry is $2,828.50 a month to maintain. I don't think God wants us to maintain, by the way. 
our weekly average has been over the last 10 weeks, $2,674. That's down from last year's average of $2,800. Our monthly inflow is about $10,699, and that's down from the 2013 average of $11,200. Our monthly inflow, I'm sorry, our monthly outflow, what goes out to pay for admin, leasing, staff, and ministry supplies and resources and support that we give, uh, what goes out is on average $11,314 a month. So if you do the math, over the last particularly five months, what has come in has been less than what has been going out. Now, what we do is we just don't do some things. We, uh, we, we meet the necessary monthly budgets. We have no emergency finances to draw from. As you can see, we don't have a large amount of money left. Um, as we saw an increase in numbers, however, we've seen a decline in our giving, particularly over the last three months, putting us behind budget for this quarter And add to that the ice out in December, which put us an entire service of out that puts us literally $2,500 that didn't even come in in December that put us behind for our current quarter. Now, we can go without certain expenses, but necessary bills still come. And I believe that we are not called to hold the fort, but to harass the foe. And by that, This is the challenge. Let's partner to touch eternity. We are growing, and we've had beautiful life change and transformation, and let's continue to see that. Now, again, this is family talk, okay? This is me talking to you about kind of where we are. And if you're not a member of our church, you get an inside glimpse today because usually we do this uh, before service with just the members. So I'm kind of letting you guys be a part of it as well today. Our greatest challenges this year are um, to integrate new people and guests and to not allow people to slip through the cracks. Uh, Also to reach out to the community in a lasting, meaningful way to overcome financial challenges and to prayerfully seek God in the timing and provision for our next step as a church and what that means for the vibe. And it may take one or eight years, but it's as we grow, as God provides, and as we give. Our future location as a church is always an issue, and that will be a challenge that we will also have to address this year. So I want to challenge you as as members, if this is your church and this is your home and this is your family, I want to challenge you to participate in the responsibility of being faithful in that area of trusting God with your giving. If you're not a member, if this is not your church, if you're not a follower of Christ, then I want you to know that this is not about what we can get, it's about what we can give. See, the more that comes in, the more we can give. Giving to a church is not about receiving, it's about giving. It's about being generous to the community. Here's the deal. Giving is about accepting our responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community via the body that we have connected to and the world. So when we give, it's not about keeping the lights on. It's about being a light in the darkness. All right? I want to encourage you to think about that. When you give, it's not, well, we're paying for the rent. We're praying for, uh, paying for staff or supplies. We're praying for, uh, paying for resources. And now, no, we're, 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 
we're participating in the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel. Okay? So that's a challenge to those of you that call this your church. So what do we need to do as a family? Well, if this is your church, two challenges from your pastor. Number one, be a faithful, consistent participator. Show up, plug in, be faithful to the role you play here and in your growth on your own and here. And number two, be faithful and consistent in your generosity and your giving. Your part is crucial, maturity and trust in God. If you don't know where to start, the Bible says, start with a sacrifice, start with 10% and watch God use that. All right, so what I want to do now is I want to take some of your text, 469-877-1101. Take a minute to, to take a look at some of your texts. And if they're texts about the church uh, counts, I'm going to pass on that. Um, so far, I've got a bunch of texts on the answers. So if you have a question about our church, about those issues that we talked about, this is a good time to, to toss them out. Okay? So I'll give you a second to do that. All right. Here's, we got some. Here we go. This one says, what can we do as a church family to see the vision of the vibe come to life? The vibe is our future vision of the church to basically not stay here forever, but to recreate a, a venue where it is a, accessible to the community every day that is a cafe, a coffee house, a venue of, uh, that allows us to, to be not a church, but a place of service to the community. So what can we do? Well, here's what we can do. Be faithful, be consistent, not only in your attendance, not only in your service in the body, but also in your giving. Because one of our biggest struggles with moving forward is our lack of resources as a church. Okay? So uh, that would be, that's the challenge. I mean, as, a, as a, someone who wants to pray for a church, this is a, that's a great area to pray for, uh, God's timing. This person has a great question. They say, hi. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I actually have more of this message. I'm just going to give you parts of it. And uh, okay, these other questions are answers to the to the wall. So let's wrap up this passage in in First Peter chapter five. And if you have any questions, you can text me still those questions. So uh, as a pastor to his sheep, the last part is the sheep concerning the sheep. So real quickly, let's hit this. All of you, and this is for everyone, clothe yourself. That means put on the apron of service with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. That means he works against the proud but shows favor to the humble. So he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Here's what I want you to write down is remember this, that we are called as sheep to sheep to walk in humility with God and with each other. Humility with each other means that we are quick to forgive, that we are quick to listen to each other. We are quick to serve. We are quick to be generous with each other, quick to kindness. We are gentle. It looks like love when we are humble. When somebody shows humility, it looks just like love. There are only Two descriptions that Jesus described himself as, humble and lowly in spirit. That's the only self-descriptions that Jesus gives us of himself. Can we say the same for you? 
and humility with God that says, you are God, I am not. I submit to your will, your way, your end, your plan, in any way you see fit, and in your timing, through struggle and blessing, God, your will be done. That is humility. He says, verse 7, cast all your cares, that's worries, on him, for he cares for you. See, the byproduct of humility with God is the assurance that he is taking care of you. He cares about you. He cares about your life. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your trials. He cares about your pain. He cares about your kids. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your job. He cares about you. Cast your cares, your worries, your anxiety on him. And then he says, rely on God to take care of you. The sheep to sheep. We must encourage each other to do that. Sometimes we sit and worry instead of casting. When we feel like quitting, cast. When we feel discouraged, cast. When we feel like our life is a mess, cast. When we feel like there's no change in our marriage, cast. When it feels like there's no end to the bills, cast. For he cares. Either you carry them or he carries them and he can handle them. Why is humility with spiritual authority and with each other is so important because it plays a big part in our defeat of the enemy. This is what he says, verse 8. In the context of humility, he says, be alert and sober-minded. This is the third time he says that in the entire letter. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. I mean, he's very intimidating. He's very noisy. He grabs your attention. He scares you. And he's looking for someone to devour. The devil is real. And he's not your friend. This passage tells us how to fight off the enemy. He says, verse 8, Be alert, be sober-minded, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So this is what he says. You want to overcome the enemy? First of all, be aware. Be aware and take it serious. It's time for you to wake up and realize the enemy is at war with your marriage. The enemy is at war with your kids. The enemy is at war with you. He does not like you. He is not your friend. You can't buddy up to him. The enemy is real and he wants to devour you. It's time to be sober-minded, to be aware, to wake up. He seeks to devour, distract, and deceive you from knowing God's word. Number two, Peter says to resist him. That means to stand firm in God's word. Know it, live it, keep it. And then he says, stand firm. That means when you feel like quitting, hold your ground. When you feel like you can't go on, be unmoved in what you know is right, in the trial and in the fire. And then he says, and remember, you're not alone. We fight together, not alone. So then he goes on to say, and the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, that's this life, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. You know, my mother, who passed away years ago, struggled with all kinds of things in her life, from battling alcoholism to going through a childhood of of abuse to struggling with her health later in years because she had polio as a child. She had post-polio as she got older. And she would struggle in every, ever life. And she would always say, she'd breathe and she'd go, this too soon shall pass. 
And that's what I thought of when I read that. My mom would say, this too soon shall pass. Because whatever this life brings, it's only, it's only for a while. And then Peter ends with this. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, this small letter, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, that means the church in Rome, chosen together with you, stands and sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. That means his spiritual son, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And he ends the letter, and this is the last part I want you to realize, is that we are all better together. We are better together. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Something powerful happens when a church moves forward in unity. So he lists the church that is supporting them, the church that is supporting him in prayer and in love and in care. He says, we need each other. You need each other. God loves a church in unity. The question was, how many churches did you count in this room? And some of you came up with 21, some of you 67. There are over 70 here, beautiful buildings representing churches all over the world. But the answer was given to me by someone on crutches. And that answer is there is one church in this room. Some of you others got that and came down and said it as well. Because these are buildings. The church is not brick. The church is not mortar. The church is not glass or steel or mud or hay or grass. The church is not wood. The church is people. And the body of Christ, we are together as one. And this body together as one. Let's move forward and see what God has for us next. Jonathan, this is for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you love us and care for us. I thank you that you've called us to be in unity. Lord, we love you. Help us to live a life of action and love with each other, humble with each other, walking in humility with each other and with those you've placed in our life to lead us. God, we love you so much. Thank you that you led us by giving your life so that we might have life. God, I pray that we would embrace that and walk in that church together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.